Hello, I'm your host, Angelina Janis, and this is the CX Cast. I'm joined today by VP Research Director Ian Jacobs and Senior Analyst Sheila Mahuchian. Welcome back, Ian, and welcome for the first time, Sheila. Thanks. Thank you. Today, we are continuing a series where we talk about priorities, and we have our design experts here to talk about the design priority, specifically what we're going to see in 2023, the exciting and the scary. Ian, can you tell the audience what the design priority is? Yeah, absolutely. The priority is called design experiences that drive loyalty. And it does what it says on the tin. It is a collection of research to help our customers, primarily those involved directly in design, but as Sheila is going to talk about later, a more expansive view of who should be involved in design. To help them with human-centered design, doing everything from conducting qualitative user research to determine appropriate customer needs, all the way through creating prototypes and evaluating user experiences, through developing the actual experience that's going to be provided in the product or service or experience that you're providing to customers, and then obviously building a continuous improvement loop into it. So it's all the research on all of those topics. The one thing that we've seen as a bit of a misunderstanding of it is that it's all about product. It's not just about products. It's about designing experiences, and those experiences can be part of digital products, but they can be services, right? How do you design the process of applying for public sector benefits? That requires a design exercise. Anything that needs design or any experiences that need to be designed, it's the research on that. Because that is such a wide scope, I'm guessing you're going to narrow things a little bit for me. For 2023, we can't focus on everything, even though there is always improvement to be made everywhere. What are the big themes we're seeing in 2023? The first area is an expansion of something that's already been a key theme. We did a lot of research on digital accessibility, making the experiences that you're providing accessible to a broader audience. We then expanded that to start to think about inclusive design. So it's not just design for people who lack the same visual acuity as the the standard person. That too, but thinking about designing for all of the characteristics that make up the human experience. So inclusive design has kind of been the theme for the last year and a half. We are taking one more aperture click up, expanding it again to start to think about ethical design. Inclusive design is clearly a part of ethical design. It is unethical to be designing in an exclusive way. But there are other parts uh, that we wanted to focus on, on the ethical design spectrum. How do you design for sustainability? How do you design for user well-being? For example, in the financial services world, there's a lot of work being done around financial well-being being built into products. But is that actually being done with a human-centered design lens? Well, we'd like to enable that through the design. 
So it's an expansion of what we've been doing, but directionally, I think it's of a piece with the way that we've been thinking about our research. So we are going to have a big research piece that kind of lays out what ethical design is and all of the various threads that we might tug on underneath it, like sustainable design, like design for well-being and so on, and then start tugging on those threads with individual pieces of research. So that's one big theme. Sheila, I'm going to turn it over to the other theme. Yeah, so the, the other really big thing that we're looking at is the theme of collaboration. The fact is, is that design experiences are no longer in a silo. It's no longer a process where you hand it off after a lot of thinking to a designer to make it real. Designers and the decision makers and stakeholders and technology experts who come together, they all have to work together from the beginning to make these products and services human and accessible. And it takes a village in a a sense. I think collaboration is one of the biggest themes and becoming one of the biggest jobs of designers. So facilitation and synthesis and collaboration are more important than ever. And we're going to be focused deeply on that so that we can enable these experiences in full. And is collaboration different for designers than for others in the organization? Are we collaborating differently when we collaborate with designers? I think it is because designers come from a place of possibility and an approaching opportunities and, and situations that have never been done before or need to be reinvented. So there's there's this kind of come from of possibility, whereas I think a lot of other functions and organizations are focused in or grounded in what's worked, what's not risky, what's sure and understood. So I think it's a very big challenge and one worth really spending some good time on because our products are really going to be as good as the people who come together to make them. And again, like Ian said, not just products, but our experiences, which involve products, services, you know, touch points all over the place. And uh, that cohesion is really what the designer brings to the table. And it's really important for the team to understand that that's the value that designers bring versus this kind of last mile effort to make all the thinking, you know, real here at the end. It's, it's kind of a, a team effort from the beginning to the end. Right. Makes sense. We're really tired of all this design work leading to a go or no go decision by someone else. Right. So what else? Maybe one more big theme to tease the audience with? Sure. So this is also a continuation of some work that we've been doing, but the world is catching up. We have work around how to design for emerging technologies and emerging experiences where there aren't any settled best practices. So although the economy may dampen the enthusiasm for extended reality in the metaverse, for now, brands all over the place in in numerous kinds of industries, including many that you might not expect, have lots of technology pilots going on around virtual reality, augmented reality but not a lot of design talent being brought in to think about what the experience is actually going to be for employees or consumers who are actually the target audience for these experiences. And so we've had a lot of research on these emerging technologies one by one. So we had a whole series of research on how to design chatbots, how to think about the personality and the language and all of those kinds of things. And we've got some early work on the metaverse, but now we're actually starting to think about, are there commonalities when you are approaching new technologies? 
how do you even think about design abstracted from what the actual technology is? Is there like a framework that you can use to think about designing for emerging technologies? I'll just add on to that. I think designers really need to be staying up to date on what is happening technologically so that they can weigh in on how it can be used for experiences that matter. All these new technologies are really exciting. They've got a lot of possibilities, but if designers aren't taking the charge on understanding what they are and how they can be used, then you'll see more and more technologists taking the lead on implementing that. Designers are the ones that really think about how the people are experiencing things, using things. So with these new emerging technologies, it's not so much, it's not enough to say just that we should use it, but for designers to really take the lead on understanding what they are and how they can be used in new and interesting and innovative ways. I think that's a critical point. We really need to get on top of it early and keep abreast of what's going on. Otherwise, we're going to start to try and apply old ways of thinking to new realities, and it's just going to fall flat on its face. For example, in extended reality, you have six degrees of freedom of motion that the user can actually experience. We've never had to think about that. That requires a completely different way of understanding how to design an environment or an experience. The navigation of a six-dimensional space is just radically different than a screen-based two-dimension with maybe faux three dimensions being added in. So I think Sheila's point is spot on. Okay, I have to ask then, I mean, yes, it's a lot of work and it's a big challenge, but what are you geeking out about right now when it comes to things like the metaverse? There's two answers to that. The first answer is I'm not because I'm actually skeptical about its utility in people's day-to-day lives in the near term. That said, what I'm geeking out about is the possibility that we will actually move towards something called the metaverse. Right now, Forrester's research is very, very clear. There is no metaverse. It does not exist. There are little siloed experiences like Roblox and the meta experience. There's no way to traverse from one experience to another in the way that you can click a hyperlink on a web page and go from AT&T's website to Verizon's website. Not that that happens, but you technically could do that easily, right? That does not exist in the metaverse. So I'm kind of geeking out on what that future will look like once we get to that point. How do you actually come up with standard design elements in the same way that we did that were codified in HTML, right? that you can actually have one website work enough like the next website that you could actually traverse from one to the other and have a coherent experience. So I'm loving thinking about, and David Trogo and our team is doing a lot of thinking about what that future will look like and how you would need to design, what the standards would look like, how you would build some governance structure. It's a funny thing to geek out about, but it's the governance and rulemaking and standardization that I think is going to be pretty exciting because without that, you actually don't have a metaverse. So I'm, I'm excited about this sort of precursor steps required to make the metaverse even possible. I was just going to take it in the other direction from what Ian's talking about, which I think are all really great points. I think that there is a need for starting to codify and standardize and start to set up systems for designing in these these new spaces. But I think that we're still we're still starting to see where these new spaces are going, and what these new spaces are looking like. It's not going to be a thing that we can manufacture. It's going to emerge and organically 
form. Applications like streaming, applications where people can open the window to their lives. There's something there that's really intriguing to people as we are more and more isolated from each other physically. And there also might be an emergence of some kind of return to analog, return to in-person after all this time apart and virtual. We've proven we can be virtual. We've proven that virtuality is really important. But, you know, I think humans do a thing where we swing from one side to another. And I can see analog and, you know, physical experiences and maybe pop-ups and even a return to some sort of retail experiences, but now in a new evolved way that incorporates digital and some of these other things that we've, we've created through the pandemic in response to human isolation. So how do we take that forward? That's very interesting. The, the consumer maybe is ready for something different. The technology is ready to do something different. But then we have this third factor, which is the economy. What should designers think about? What's the impact on design from what you're seeing of the economy? So the technology industry employs, or in many cases employed, lots and lots and lots of design talent. There has been a massacre in Silicon Valley of, of you know, employees. It's just layoff after layoff after layoff. My team is constantly sending me like, oh, now this company laid off 5% of its workforce. And design has definitely been impacted there. But we haven't broken the boundary of the tech industry so far for these contractions ahead of some major economic contraction that clearly the tech companies are expecting or are slightly experiencing. And that means that the design talent shortage that exists in other industries has not abated. In fact, it seems like if you get, you know, you're a designer and you have been impacted by a reduction in force at Google or Meta or wherever, and you're in the Bay Area, you could go get a job at Bank of America or Wells Fargo because the financial services industry still has a dearth of design talent that they need to fill. So it's kind of a shifting of where designers are going to find opportunities rather than a diminution of the overall demand for design. The other way that the impact will be felt if the economy contracts as many fear is that brands in those circumstances tend to focus on things like automation and self-service. They want customers to buy things on their own. They want them to do self-service for customer care. All of those experiences are going to need more design help because they're going to become the critical touch point for the brand, not less design help. So even as we move into a worsen, if we move into a worsening economy, the demand for design just actually expands because the number of experiences that you're designing for digital experiences will expand. And the importance of those experiences to the brand's financial future just grows. So I'm not in any way pessimistic. I do think that there's going to have to be some shifting around. I'll just add on to that. What's going to really make the difference is if designers can successfully advocate for what they do, which is something we've been talking about for a while, but still a common misperception that designers are really here to make it pretty and to do their magic as if design is just an aesthetic coding. Design, Steve Jobs really famously said, is not about what it looks like, but how it works. And so I think it's going to really 
come down to designer's ability to advocate, to really express and demonstrate and develop the relationships and trust needed to have the people around them understand that they are here to help design how it works and how it can work and how it should work. That's going to really make the difference on how well designers can weather this downturn. I really agree with Ian and the fact that there will be much more of a need, but What's really going to boil down to is having designers be able to demonstrate and gain the trust to have that need fall with them rather than in a different function. This is very optimistic, which is great. As we wrap up one year, we want to know the next year is going to be just fine for designers, even if their jobs seem to be dissolving. Just so we aren't going into the next year naive, what are the challenges that we should think about or that designers maybe are already thinking about? You talked about how organizations may not get designed. They may think it's window dressing or even something that happens and then I make a decision on. These are all challenges that we've seen in the past. Are there any emergent challenges that we should be aware of? Along the same lines of how it works and how things work, and I think I've mentioned something to this effect, but it's more and more on designers to be part of the facilitation of these conversations to understand and have empathy for the back to collaboration, you know, product managers, stakeholders, budget holders that don't have that mindset of possibility when they come into a new experience and they're looking for something predictable, controllable. Designers really thrive in that ambiguous space and they're able to speak to it. And it's very incumbent on them to start to learn how to speak to it really, really solidly and in a way that creates a sense of security for people who are flailing in the world of ambiguity that we're sitting in today. To be able to bring that to the table is going to be of utmost concern. I think buy-in has always been and continues to be a huge concern. How do you create buy-in? Potentially our paradigms are shifting and maybe money isn't the most important indicator of value. I'd like to see designers be part of that conversation. How do we define value? How do we measure value? And is it always on these standardized metrics or can we start to invent metrics based on our goals that actually acknowledge those goals and measure them accurately? I think I would just summarize what you're, well, not summarize what you're saying, but pick on one piece of it, which is design has natural allies within organizations, right? Product managers, engineering or development They should understand the value of design, either have design partners or actually have design competencies within their own teams. The challenge is that it's not just incumbent on designers to get everybody to hold hands and kumbaya it out, right? It's that they actually need to have them and their partners as a united front saying, we're not able to deliver compelling product services or experiences unless the rest of the organization is also taking a human-centered way of thinking about what products we're building, why are we building them, how are we making money off of them, what are our business models around them. The challenge is twofold. It's to actually find your natural allies and actually embed with them and then present as a unified front to the business to say, if we're not doing it the human-centered way, we're not actually going to be fulfilling whatever our brand mission is, right? It's impossible to do that. So that's 
going back to Sheila's collaboration thought from the top, but it's more than just like designers have to collaborate. It's that they need those collaborators to be part of the solution of expanding the remit within the enterprise. Yeah, that collaboration piece is huge. As more and more uncertainty piles on us, what is the metaverse? How do we design for it? How do we create order? What is the economy doing? What does it mean we need to double down on in terms of customer experiences? Lots of questions that are better answered together rather than in one corner of the organization. Speaking of the metaverse, is that the next big thing that we're just going to focus on for the next year? Is there anything else going on that we should know about? So I'm going to give a two-word answer and then turn it over to Sheila because, again, this is an area she's laser-focused on. My actually three-word answer. The next big thing is design for work. We've focused on consumers. We've even focused on business-to-business type relationships. There's been a lot of talk about consumerization of IT, and yet the experiences that employees are expected to suffer through when dealing with the technology that they're provided or the services and processes that govern their lives, it's just been miserable. So design for work is where we're going. But Sheila is actually spearheading our research into design for work. So I'm going to shut up and let the expert talk. So yes, design for work is a huge interest of ours. We've had a very long time you know, since machines came on the scene, we've been almost approaching ourselves and approaching our organizations as if we are machines. And I think there's a theme of humanity coming around. But beyond that, it's very basic logic. If you have people working to provide for people who are spending money for you, if those people can't do their job or they're wasting time trying to manage processes that aren't efficient or intuitive, they're not going to be able to provide the service that you need your customers to have, and therefore you won't make the money that you're looking for. You can't treat people like they're robots because they're not. We have robots. Now we have automation. We have AI. We have a lot of robots to do the robotic things that we need done. This is the time to really start to focus on the humans that are working for you and to treat them as humans, which, you know, involves paying attention to their tools, paying attention to their processes, designing these things thoughtfully so that your organization can actually function fluidly without a lot of friction and without a lot of tension. I think with being in these experiences day after day, the ones that all of us as consumers interact with, we're starting to have a higher bar for these experiences. We have expectations that have grown. It's not like in the past, it's just been, oh, SAP isn't very easy to work with, so it doesn't matter. They have to use it. Or generally, an employee has to use this thing to do it, and we don't want to spend the money because we have to spend the money on the consumers. Literally, when you don't spend the money on these processes and these tools and make them easy to use, easy to apply, easy to get through these tasks and functions, you're robbing your own organization of the money you could be making with people that are serving customers and, and creating experiences that are designed accurately and relevantly and, and, and provide value in the world. It's no longer growth for growth's sake. It's actually differentiated value, things people actually need. And it takes a lot of time and energy to figure out what that is. We need to evolve. And that really gets into design for work, how we design our workspaces, how we design our tools, even our organizations to really get the best out of people. I think it's a really intense question to ask, and it's going to be a monumental design challenge to solve, but it's going to be really worth it for both 
people inside and outside these organizations that are working to create value. 15, 20 years ago, before the digitization of most of our experiences, there was an argument that the janitor was critical for a customer's experience in a retail store. It was like a function that you didn't think of that actually impacted the experience. People made the argument. I don't know that brands ever really bought it. We're facing that same sort of challenge today when we're saying, actually, the tool that your employee needs to use to put in their expenses for a business trip is actually going to impact your customer's experience, but it will. And so, yeah, we are finding ourselves back in that situation of having to make the business case. The one advantage is it's not just focused on a lowly paid class of employee, it's all employees. Right? Like the CEO has to use these not great tools just as much as somebody else in the company does to fill up the expense report. Right, So you do have the benefit of it being all employees, and hopefully that makes making the business case easier. One positive note, I was at an event for one of the large contact center technology providers who had just, like many Silicon Valley firms, had a massive layoff. They, in 2021 and early 2022, built a design competency that they didn't really have before around their tools and their business-to-business -business enterprise class contact center tools. So contact center agents, workforce planners, contact center managers, those are the people who use the tools. So they went from a few designers or quasi-designers to having 40 designers on staff. In the last 12 months, that doubled, and it's now about 80 designers, and none of them were part of the layoff. They're like, no, this is critical to the success of our customers. If we cannot provide them tools that are intuitive, useful, help the employee understand the brand mission and buy into the brand mission and find some fulfillment in their work, we are actually going to drive revenue from our customers. So we are seeing some early signs that at least the providers of those tools, the business to business kind of tools are starting to get it. That doesn't cover like what brands built for themselves and the design work that they themselves do. So I think that's actually going to be the biggest next front in this, this challenge that we have. But at least the B2B software guys are starting to get at a deep level, get the fact that their tools were lacking, employees were encumbered, to use Sheila's word, rather than enabled. And so they're starting to clean up their act and fix the problem. But now we need to see the brands working on their own technology and processes and so on for employees to also buy into this. I think it's, it's very abstract to say, if you just help the timesheet be better, that your customers will be served. But we talk a lot about you know, the fight for talent, attrition, retention, it's not about the ping pong table. It's just about the timesheet. You know, if I don't have to be in pain about filling in my timesheet, I will fill in my timesheet. If I don't have to be in pain about submitting my expenses, I will just submit my expenses and that's just better for the business overall. And if I don't have to be in pain to do my basic job, then I will be more inclined to want to do above and beyond that job and bring the best talents I have to my company to serve it. People want to feel valued. People want to do meaningful work. And these little tiny assaults on their experience and 
daily life through the form of these tools is the kind of death by a thousand paper cuts that create the apathy, the different things that we struggle with in the workplace and, and take away from our ability to collaborate, take away from our ability to bring our whole selves, take away from our ability to contribute fully. People just become apathetic. And it seems like an exaggeration to say that that just boils down to an easy timesheet, but it's not. Experiences have always been important. They're important on the consumer side. They're important on the employee experience side. These things make the difference between staying and leaving. I still celebrate not filling out a timesheet. And it's been four years. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers for filling out timesheets. My head is full of connections here, connections to employer branding, connections to the trust imperative. We're doing a lot of research in different directions at Forrester, and I hope to have both of you back on to help make those connections in future episodes. Ian, thanks for joining again. Absolutely. And Sheila, thanks for joining for the first and hopefully not last time. Very good to be here. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forster.com or message us on Twitter at cx underscore cast. As always, you can find us at www.thecxcast.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tune in next time for more CX Insights.